Welcome one and all once again to your respite on the rough seas of the internet. Vidra, please. My name is Joseph. And I'm your co-host, Peter. Our drudgery, our attempt to slog through this barge of the damned that is Star Trek Picard continues apace. Man, have you... Uh, I'm trying to find all the good I can in this, and every week they just make it so much harder for us to, f- to actually follow through on our word and finish this fucking show. I think for laughs, we should implement a new <laughs> rule that at the end of each of these Picard reviews we do, we, we try to say one good thing about the episode and see what fucking desperate reaching for straws uh, we have to go through to to come up with something positive to say. I listened to our last episode and I want to say it was almost 20 ish minutes of our podcast before we actually started discussing, um, whatever the absolute candor and just, just to clear things up for anybody who's new in listening or our long-term listeners, why we are going off on these tangents and doing all of this, this angry nerd ranting that does not apply to the exact episodes that we're getting to. And, and somehow, and I wouldn't think this would be something I could say, there's not enough to actually discuss in these fucking episodes. You and I can take the goofiest, stupidest episode of Voyager and just find some sci-fi tangent to go on and flesh out and explore and whatever. And we yet, often have to – I have to rein you in or you have to rein me in because we'll go for an hour and a half or two hours if we can just keep talking about it, about Voyager. I mean don't even get me started on how long it took for us to get through <laughs> a, a Next Generation porn parody. Oh my god. It was a jumbo-sized episode, much like uh, Corvus, Xander Corvus's dick, which is also <laughs> jumbo-sized. Uh, but, you know – They've got 10 episodes to tell a story. You should be able to create such nuanced, beautiful scenes at at a slow, thoughtful pace with excellent character development, all this other stuff. And they just bumble through these series of events that for the the, you know, for the love of God, I can't find anything worth a shit to talk about. And instead, to, to fill our podcast up <laughs> it's like we're we're criticizing the greater trek sphere as a whole and the the current production staff so um i don't think we're really taking anything away from the episodes uh or or glossing over any important talking points i think it's just it's a shallow experience there's not really meat on the bone and i'm i'm ashamed to see that this is the best they can do uh, with the name Star Trek and Picard. I'm, I'm forced to wonder as I contemplate this show's continued spiral into oblivion um, is, you know, we, we've postulated why it can be possibly this bad and how is it that can they can be that incompetent to do this so poorly? Is can is that still a good explanation or is it like bad on purpose? Like, is there some sort of purposeful destruction happening here? Like, I'm forced to wonder this. You I'm forced to contemplate this. Mentioned earlier, I'm gonna say two episodes ago. You know, is is Picard gonna be 
Jesus Christ and have to die on the cross for Kurtzman's sins to to just wrestle this fucking franchise away from people who do not care and are just producing trash and Picard's going to have to be the one to fall on his sword to move the yoke of leadership to someone else to to a better direction. I you know the worst part of this entire Picard experience for me right now like it's a bad story. I don't care for it. There's a lot of hokey shit going on and you know all the old TNGs still there on Netflix. They you're not taking anything away from right. the old stuff. But what you're doing is not only are you telling a bad story, you are now making it impossible for anyone else to tell a good story because they've taken the shot and they've thrown it right in the fucking gutter. I was never expecting to get another chance to see these these characters in this universe in the state like when Nemesis was over, I thought, you know, okay, that's it. I'm not no longer are the adventures of Jean-Luc Picard and the crew of the Enterprise going to be something I observe. The the window into that is closed and I was more than at peace with it. Like you said, there's all of this uh, material to enjoy and re-enjoy that I have enjoyed ever since, right? Like I think Nemesis came out when I was in college. Like yeah. a long time we've been without them. And this comes up as a possibility and it comes up as reality and you can't help but be excited because you have precluded this possibility like in your mind this can't happen and then suddenly it is happening and you're like oh my oh i'm so excited i'm so ready i want this even even if you restrain yourself a part of you does part of you always does it's the part of you that made us do this you know to that point the expectation that we've all set for ourselves that from the interviews and other any any sort of fan interactions that I feel that there was writing on the wall that Patrick Stewart never wanted to portray Jean-Luc Picard again. So like you're saying, we've we've said to ourselves, all right, yeah, that that story is done. And you might think that that's not the case and that there's more Picard out there. But I think the the sentiment still stays that. Patrick Stewart never wanted to play that Jean-Luc Picard again. And that's why whatever in the fuck this is that I just watched today, this, this <laughs> fucking jabroni circus, <laughs> this, I am beside myself with this. I'm in, I'm embarrassed for the fucking franchise. I am embarrassed that this cheap junk shit sci-fi original that never got to see the light of day under its original uh, title name whatever the fuck what whatever bathroom they found this thing on the floor that you can take something like future man which is a, a story about traveling back in time to kill the guy who invents the cure for herpes right right and that it's so good there's such good character development the 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 special effects look so great the dealing with time travel is so excellent it's so thoughtful and good and then you take what the best fucking thing that star trek should be able to possibly put together it should have been the best sci-fi minds together in a room producing a magnum opus and instead i get whatever the fuck this thing was uh season one episode five start a city rag 
this episode started with something that I felt compelled to warn you about after I saw it. I don't know if you saw my warning. I saw it. There there was going to be a massive spoiler for Voyager. And what I would like you to do is describe the opening scene and then I will I will do my best to provide context with the least amount of revelation as possible because this was a huge fucking deal. You don't know why. But I'll try to explain. Go ahead. Explain what happens in the fucking first scene in this goddamn episode. So it's what, seven years ago or something? This is uh, around the time of when the synths went crazy. It simply was. So uh, 14-ish years prior to modern day setting of Picard around the uh, the Mars space 9-11. And there's a couple uh, biodomes on some planet. We zoom in. It's a real uh, horror movie saw setting where we've got someone who is tied down. There's blood. There's cutting instruments. Uh, real horror movie vibe. And uh, we pretty quickly see that it's someone getting their eyeball ripped out of their head, clearly without any anesthesia. They seem kind of humanoid. Uh, you see the command burgundy starfleet uniform there and again it's you know the the previous version to what's currently in rotation and you've got a uh some sort of technician who is showing zero compassion about the technology implants she's ripping out of somebody and then there's a commotion and someone shoots their way in kills off all the techs it's seven to nine who we got dumped in our lap last episode and then she comes up. Clearly, there's a strong relationship there. She calls him her son. And then ultimately, Mercy kills him. So let me give you some context. In season six of Star Trek Voyager, they are going to encounter a derelict Borg vessel where most of the Borg have been wiped out. The only survivors are uh essentially children who were captured and being put and were put into maturation chambers to be grown into full-sized drones. And they were protected from whatever happened. They emerged still basically partially childlike, partially Borg. There's a whole episode about essentially reclaiming them. And of the child Borg that were reclaimed by Voyager in this episode, Icheb, who this is, ends up being the one that stays on Voyager the longest and ends up being essentially a recurring character for the last two seasons and becomes as a consequence, the main uh, vector by which seven of nine's character development in regards to her being a mother figure to uh, reclaiming more and more of your humanity goes through. Egeb is a critical character to, Voyager and specifically seven of nine in season six and seven. Um, you know, he's a, because he was still a kid, he's not quite as like programmed into being Borg. So he's much more like gung ho about, you know, being human. And there's in fact, even an episode where seven of nine's cortical implant fails. She can't live without it, but each can because of the age when he was assimilated and was then de-assimilated. His brain isn't as dependent on it and eventually gives her his cortical implant, even though it was going to possibly kill him. Right. They have that level of connection, which they reference in the scene. And that's my one good thing I'm going to say. 
is that they reference her, this Nazi doctor lady trying to find Ichab's cortical uh, implant, but can't find it because he doesn't fucking have one. Like somebody watched that episode. Good job, writer, whoever you are. You get a gold star for effort for this scene. I read uh, briefly just looking over a couple notes for the episode. The lady who wrote the script for this was like a huge fan of him and actually incorporated him into uh, prominent mention uh in a book she wrote where he goes through starfleet uh academy yeah and that was part of his character on voyager as well that he wanted to be in starfleet because they rescued him and all this like okay so that sets the table this guy is the most important character aside from janeway in seven of nine's life that's who this guy is we see he made it into starfleet he's a lieutenant and the first thing that happens is Seven and Nine has to come into this fucking horror movie and euthanize him. Okay? That's the fucking stakes they set up for this episode for people who are big fans. All right? Like, holy shit, they just killed Echep. He was having his Borg parts ripped out. This is awful. And the fact that this show goes on to basically just piss all of that initiative away into just this, this cheap, sloppy mess is its worst sin because I actually was like, Oh shit. The fuck. That's it. That is, that is some, that's some fucking dark shit. Where is this going? Is this, it's going to go someplace interesting. Is there, are they going to go? So it's like a cortical node, like a big deal. Like, because it has like processing power. Like, are we going to get into like a black market for Borg parts in some way? Like, is there, no, it's, it's just, uh, we get a far pan out shot where you see like a Borg torso and arm and like, it's a pretty good looking chop shop. And uh, to Frakes's credit, like his horror touch is, is pretty on point. I I did enjoy that. And I think that's, you know, if we're going to try and look at the greater universe going on around this time, there is a thriving market for these Borg implants and stuff. Not only do you have the Romulans who are harvesting uh, an entire cube, but clearly there's a very strong black market element for not only Borg implants, but like classic era Borg implants from, uh, uh, you know, the the Berman era Trek that that's better somehow than the newer implants that have been floating around. Uh, it was a very powerful scene. I think Jerry Ryan does a good job. I think this guy laying on the table getting slaughtered there's an issue i think with the audio it becomes very hard to hear what people are saying and and i got the gist and it was clear why she was doing the mercy kill and that there was a strong connection there um but uh i, I would say the the black market that we're seeing there kind of reminds me a little bit of pacific rim like how the what are they yeah look? the the brains of the kaiju and all that yeah that there's you know these people that go in after battles and scavenge and just find what they can. The again to this scene specifically. So uh, the synth uprising happens. How does this Starfleet guy end up on a planet alone? Exactly. They don't explain it. Well, that's part of the problem. Like, this was set up to be just stakes for why Seven of Nine is angry. And that's what pissed me off later on. Like, this didn't have any meaning to the story other than, oh, well, 
Seven of Nine is going to be angry because of this, because, you know, Egypt got killed. So clearly that's that's good motivation right there. There wasn't anything to what they decided to do with this. I mean, essentially, Seven of Nine is a one shot in this entire series, right? She's like third build as people in this fucking thing. By the end of it, she's just off the show, right? She's just gone murdering people with phasers, right? Like doing whatever her fucking space Batman shtick is. Mm-hmm. The writing of this episode and the amateur hour nonsense that it engages with, I don't think can be overstated because you get this opener and then you, you cut back to uh, the, the Normandy. They're having a conversation, Picard and seven of nine in, in the, uh, the holodeck chateau. So they didn't have to build a, another set. Dude, I cannot shake that off now that you've pointed out to me just the complete, you know, we called our, our first episode, it takes money to make money. And and the budget that they looked like they were swinging on this thing was so big. And for them just to get so cheap and chintzy, like you couldn't just take a room and make it look kind of futuristic and have a chair or his bedroom or something. You're just going to lazily reuse some other set. So you could have justified the budget on why his study was so uh, ornate or whatever. Like, come on, man. And and th- that shit goes on nonstop. And the more you look at it, the more it stands out. What stood out even more for me was something that we have talked about, but I didn't see a phrase that described it well until today. And that is the conversation between Picard and Seven of Nine reeks of the same quality that it seems every piece of writing that has been put out for Picard. And I think also you could attribute this to discovery as well. And that is the concept of unearned intimacy. Have you ever noticed that all of the characters in these shows immediately have this report slash our best friends slash must be important to the viewer, even though that feeling hasn't actually been earned in any legitimate way through the narrative exploration. It's like Kurtzman's fucking favorite thing to do when I started to think about it in context of discovery as well is forcing these moments by making the audience feel like that this is the way there's they have to feel about this, even though there isn't really context for doing so, because we're told essentially that this is the first time Picard and seven of nine have ever met yet. They're immediately have this intimate rapport with each other. Which makes no sense, right? Like, why would Seven of Nine be giving Jean-Luc Picard a whole shit ton of crap in his study like this? Like, you know, John Adam, like, she fucking knows the guy. When apparently they don't fucking know each other at all. So let's let's play devil's advocate here. If she was active in the collective, and as Locutus, he was active in the collective, then they did have a shared consciousness, and I think you know, like one recovering addict might have a an immediate shared past with another recovering addict. They they could have had that going for him. But I think to your point, it's much more personal and cheeky and they're drawing on a a very substantial shared history that no does not exist. And I think a lot of these moments that you're describing, again, 
boil down to a way for the show to give Picard an opportunity to virtue signal. Not even. It's giving other characters the opportunity to abuse him while he's passive, right? It's so weird to see this character be called Jean-Luc Picard when he is, seems to be a a, a completely Im, passive, impartial observer to everything that's happening around him. And it's just constantly the target of abuse of all of these other people without really asserting himself in any way. Uh, the same unearned intimacy slash abuse from Raffi a couple different times uh, from, you know, Admiral Craft Services. You know, like, there's just no sense of the Picard that stood up for the decisions that he's made. Except in that first uh, episode when he like resolved to do something about the fact that, uh, you know, Dodge had died in his presence and that, you know, he needed to do something as a consequence. Like he had a 35 to 45 seconds of re of resolve in this show so far. Oh, and I guess it only took 10 seconds to dress down a Romulan that just saved his life by beheading a guy. I guess that that's the only other time. Looking back on that episode, too, I. I refuse to believe that that was not an engineered situation. Uh, <laughs> look, it, it's it's not Picard, and and that's the only way I can say this. Whatever Picard you thought you were going to be looking for here is not here because it's very clear that is not a character that Patrick Stewart was interested in reprising. And and if you can watch season one episode five stardust city rag and by the end say this isn't a fucking joke or a caricature or someone's silly drunk buffoonery uh then then you're in the the wrong place i i, I would go as far as to say like the term drecker has come into fashion for describing people who like the stuff to use the Yiddish phrase drek, uh, which I believe means garbage. Um, and I agree. Like, you're not you're not a Star Trek fan if you like this. You're a fan of something. I, it's not Star Trek, though. It's 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 something else. And I would prefer it not be associated with what I love. I am going to stand by my statement that you know, if anybody's out there is loving it and, and this is their jam, good on them. I'm not going to take anything away from them. it's certainly not anything that I'm going to fondly remember. And maybe, maybe in the next five episodes, there will have been a radical shift in the writing room and someone is going to kind of pull their <laughs> nose up on this, this suicide uh, bomber mission that, that they're trying to pass off as Trek. But um, yeah. So yeah, we, we cut back over to the starship, Normandy, which I still can't tell you what the real name of this vessel is. <laughs> yes, it's the Normandy. Let's just let's just call it what we see it. Yeah, and we pick up with uh, Picard, and he's got seven to nine in there, and she starts kind of giving a little bit exposition about what the Ferris Rangers are and why she's doing it. Uh, she's got a real illogical line uh, of motivation of why and and her reasoning and Picard's kind of like, uh, okay. And then she's like, well, what are you going after? What's, what's your mission and all of this? And Picard starts playing coy and 
eventually hooks her in and she sits down and hears his story and presumably agrees to go along uh, for the ride over to Stardust City. The planet they go to is basically planet altered carbon, I guess. Uh, it's like space Las Vegas. It's it's definitely like the least Star Trek place I've ever seen. Um, but, you know, I, I'm assuming they're outside of Federation space. Um, they arrive at Free Cloud and have to deal with this goofy sequence where they're like being assaulted, altered carbon style by like advertisements and shit. So dumb. It so out of feel, place. Yeah, it feels to me that this entire planet and all of the cheap shit garbage holograms involve and everything else would have really worked well for the Enterprise TV show as like early technology, early fringe Las Vegas, not something that has the full technology might of the, the current day technology world. Like this entire planet, all the special effects around it, everything just came off so cheap and low budget and shitty. It left me scratching my head. Come to think of it, it actually does resemble just an episode of Enterprise with slightly better makeup in the background, better costumes. Mm -hmm. Like there, there are scenes and places they go to in Enterprise that are like gritty and and kind of like Moss Eisley esque, I guess you'd call it. Uh, That's more uh, more accurate than you may realize, Peter. Yeah, I mean, it just it's a low budget joke. Uh, we find some crime boss who I can only refer to as, you know, Marina Sirtis's twin sister. Yeah, yeah. If Marina Sirtis had a twin sister and then froze her in carbonite for 30 years. It's like very, if, si- very similar. It's like if uh, Troy got mashed up with like Gozer the Gozerian. Yeah, from, from- the outfit is very Gozer. Uh, the... I guess we we should fill in uh, that we finally see Bruce Maddox, who's not played by the same actor. Boo and hiss. Yeah. What the fuck? I, 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 I would assume that it could be that the guy didn't want to do the part. Oh, he I don't saw know the he script still... and saw it was fucking garbage and said, you know what? Pass. Yeah, I did. I you. I can't I can't imagine what it cost much. I think he actually like teaches acting. I think he did uh, a Bruce Star Trek Hotline. musical. Yeah, he he is active in Trek circles, so I, I can't imagine it would have been hard to get him. But Instead, they get a guy from The Nutty Professor. And Bruce Maddox tells the crime boss who he clearly was apparently had borrowed money from, I guess. Again, which, lots of discussions of money, which is just still so weird to me. I buy it, though. We're now outside of Federation jurisdiction. We are outside of the utopia. Uh, this cloud stardust city shall henceforth be referred to as Omega from Mass Effect. There we go. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. This guy's dealing with uh, Arya Talok, who is the very sexy, cruel ball breaker. And she is informed by a walking piece of ginger root. (laughs) (laughs) This 
who they build up and then just gets fucking aced later. Like, like they build this guy up to be just the fucking the the fucking coolest guy. And he just gets shot in the back of the head. Oh, he's a sentient lizard and he's got all these smell receptors and he's so strong and you can smell light. I mean, the way they're fucking hyping this guy up, you would have thought it was an 80s cartoon that was going to try and sell you an action figure. Like they they do not get off this guy's nuts. And then the Rios just is blasting the back of the head. I'm like, all right, let's get out of here. But uh, (laughs) this guy's like, listen, Bruce Maddox is here. And she's like, ah, how the mighty have fallen. Yeah, go ahead and kill him. Oh, wait, no, I'm going to try. I actually didn't really mind her. I kind of like the criminal element. Conceptually, I thought her idea to uh, kidnap this guy and sell him off to the Tal Shiar. uh, And that's. That's the singular Tal Shiar, not the Tal Tal Shiar Shiar. Yes. Um, what was was good. And that's where this plot line stops being good, because the uh, the Scooby squad up on the Normandy <laughs> and their terrible Dixon Hill murder mystery adventure says we need to get Bruce Maddox out of there. So how are we going to do it? And then Rafi, who. I will give props is like 700% less annoying than we've seen her previously. And we'll later. Really? Cause I, I thought she was more annoying. I, I was hearing your, she's worse than, uh, Jar-Jar she's, Jar-Jar the, Binks. she's the, the, the worst thing that happened to science fiction since Jar Jar Binks to which, by the way, Stevie said, that's not accurate. Jar Jar Binks could entertain children. Raffi is going to entertain no one. Yeah. Well, I think she, her whole subplot this episode with uh, her estranged son who's moving on to start a family and whatever junky adventure she was on that she's trying to sober up and reconnect like that. It's a very two-dimensional story you've seen a million times in every other piece of media, but by comparison, the rest of this episode, specifically their little costume contest was so fucking ridiculous <laughs> and god awful that even my wife was like somehow her 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 tracking down her son was like a more interesting story than the rest of went on here and i was like you're absolutely fucking right so it, it, it it's it didn't offend the senses the same way i'll say that but it was still just so poorly done on the actress's part uh, it just just terrible in every line reading. I can't, dude. Again, Jean Luc Picard, fucking Patrick Stewart was the worst part of this goddamn episode. And and oh, in his depra- in his depravity, I I can't even say Michelle Hurd is is as bad as I thought she was because we've reached new fucking lows. I do want to touch on the pop ups that they get hit when they show up at uh, Omega here. The fucking Rastafarian drug dealing pop-up hologram like please just leave 2020 alone tell me tell me a future story (laughs) when the kid you know going back into her uh connecting with my long lost son when the kid tells her that she sucks i was just like god (laughs) i guess when you say pro tip while vaping you there, You've there broken is, so much of of new ground in that that they didn't even register for me. You anymore. can't even go any lower than that. Like they might as well have walked into that club and the bartender just been like, "What's up?" 
And then Rio's like, what's up? They could just done the Budweiser fucking frogs or whatever that was for five minutes. And it, and it still wouldn't have seemed out of place. The, uh, the, the, the thing that uh, you already alluded to it, but the thing that really drove me absolutely crazy was Patrick Stewart going from bad to worse by essentially acting like a French buffoon on purpose as part of this stupid ass Scooby squad cover. They give themselves for extracting Bruce Maddox. That is so paper thin and stupid that it seems like you shouldn't accept that this works, but they just leave you with no options. Like their, their entire plot is to dress up in gaudy costumes, a fucking pimp hat. These guys look like <laughs> characters out of a fucking 1975 Hanna-Barbera cartoon. This is some straight up for real, for real, for real Scooby-Doo bullshit. <laughs> I can't even fucking laugh at it. And like They got Rafi and he's got a big fucking orange pimp hat. And Joe, you might That's know. Rios. Rios had the big orange pimp hat. I'm sorry. Hat. Yeah. I know a thing or two about ICP. All right. I've watched He's, both of the feature length movies, <laughs> Big Money Hustlers, and the f- excellent follow up, Big Money Rustlers. <laughs> Rios. And I'll get you a screenshot, man. He is dressed exactly like Shag's Too Dope as Sugar Bear. Straight up. <laughs> It would have been so much better if they just got down as ICP just with fucking Juggalo makeup on. It would have been more credible. Oh, my God. Yeah, they're like, oh, they find like a a database entry for like, oh, how should we dress up? That's like really gaudy, would really stand out. And they just accidentally like find this this entry about Juggalos. And they just go with like with their with their fucking hatchet man hats on sideways. You know, their Fago bottle, whoop, whoop, like that. It would, that have been, would have been so much better. It would have been more creditable than the fucking train wreck we ended up getting. So the the plan is that Rios is going to go down to the surface dressed like a fucking pimp. And he is a intermediary middleman who is going to try to negotiate with uh, what, what I call her. Arya Talok meets Gozer the Gozerian meets, with some Deanna uh, Troy looks. Yes. And he's going to try and snake Maddox away from the deal where he is originally going to end up with a Tal Shiar. And that's kind of like this. I guess if it was anything else, it would have been a, a good setup. It, it's kind of got like an Ocean's Eleven. Like we're going to describe the plan as the plan is being shown on the screen in the process. I, I think at this point I'm going to be retiring my theory that Rios is in fact uh AI and that entire ship that he's like sentient AI. If he's transporting down and some of the other stuff he goes through getting injected with pheromones and stuff, I don't think that that he can actually. Yeah, he's again, the show's not going to be that clever. I guess we should also mention because at this point we'll have seen that Dr. Gerardi has uh, not been entirely truthful with the crew. Uh, Bruce Maddox was clearly uh, her lover, boyfriend, you know, friends with benefits, something more than colleagues, because she's watching a video of her, of him making chocolate chip cookies, right? 
um, and they're being lovey-dovey with each other. Uh, shout out to Allison Pill, who is the only person trying her fucking hardest in ev- when it comes to everyone making this show. Producers, writers, all of the actors, no one's working harder than Allison Pill at trying to make this fucking work. And she turns in an A-plus performance in what was otherwise dog shit, in my opinion. Jerry Ryan also did okay. I just don't think she had much to work with. Um, I guess it now is the time we point out that Jerry Ryan still looks fine as hell somehow. Not a No silver cat suit this time, but there's some things you just can't hide. We're t- I'm talking about her butt. Yeah, I, I'm aware I'd cross my mind as well i bet it did and look at that jonathan frakes not you know holding the camera uh boob level on her on all shots always apparently that was just a fluke that uh voyagers photography fell into um so they're gonna put the mercenary captain rios down there and he is going to butt into this deal that was supposed to be between Arya Talok and the Tal Shiar to get Bruce Maddox. And they're going to trade seven of nine as bait because uh, Gojo the Gozerian is real big on the Borg black market parts market. And my first question is, why in the fuck would this guy, this Rios guy, agree to this super dangerous ass shit? Like he was being paid to ferry Picard around, but like getting involved in this harebrained scheme, I'd I'd really harp on this if it wasn't even like the top fifty percent of the stupid shit we see in this episode. Did you see the? You're right. Yeah, the, them glossing over this seems minor compared to everything else they gloss over. Yeah, he's like, oh, you want to go to a board cube? Well, that's going to double your fee. There's no mention of you want me to go down and fucking jerk a major crime lord around. Um. Yeah, buddy, listen, we're going to either have to firm up why I care about you and really get some some Picard fanboying in here quick or put some money on the table or whatever. Uh, They go out of their way to drag as many TNG and Berman era references into this thing as they possibly can. Obviously, Bruce Maddox, obviously seven and nine. Uh, There's mention of uh, Mr. Mott, the old barber from uh, the Enterprise D. Uh, there's Quark's Quark as well. Quark gets a shout out. So. Uh, it's, wait. I know that it's a reference to a thing I know. Hooray. I mean, that that seems to be what authentically they're going for. Yeah. With those like there shouldn't be a I mean, I guess Quark franchised, I guess. I mean, Good whatever. Call. Hard uh, Rock Cafe. I mean, that, I mean he saw he, he, he knows how to make his money. Hey, the man was a restaurateur. I don't doubt his ability, but that deserves explanation. You know, it, I would it, rather see any. his trials and tribulation in growing a chain franchise than the fucking story <laughs> I'm getting into. I would, too. I would rather watch Armin Shimmerman playing Quark, trying to turn his bar into the TGI Fridays of the Milky Way galaxy than fucking Star Trek Picard. That's not that's not even a hard choice. I mean, I'd rather watch Jordy LaForge crawling around on all fours like Velma Dinky <laughs> looking for his <laughs> visor that had fallen <laughs> under the couch than this. Uh, so Rios agrees to beam down and jerk around this 
lizard man thing that's supposed to be so big and so scary. And they're going to try and pass off this harebrained scheme that Picard is some sort of mercenary and has captured seven of nine and they're going to sell her to the crime boss. Rios beams down to this bar and it is the saddest looking forced party I have ever seen. I get if you can't really create like impressive looking scenes or whatever, but Jonathan Frakes, could we have gotten like more than 30 people hanging around uh, a Forever 21 mall (laughs) retail store to impress upon us like a bumping ass future bar? Yeah, I will say like some of the hairstyles and some of the background elements were were neat as far as like costume design, but the set itself was sad. Did you uh, see and the one guy that had like a black sock on his head with like beads sewn to it? No, I missed that. He's standing next to Rios while like Rios is like, oh, shit, I don't think this is the go going to go the way we want. Uh, I have to go back and check that. That sounds hilarious. I don't know if it's worth it, Joe, because that's going to mean having to see Pirate Picard. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. I saw a picture and it's Picard wearing like this. This Victorian Gothic standing collar Sergeant Pepper jacket with an eye patch and a fucking beret. I saw it online and I was like, God, that must have been like some Halloween costume or something that Patrick Stewart wore. I would have never in a million fucking years thought that this is something that that would have been in an actual like an actual show. Yeah, like, oh, this is a parody. This isn't real. This is some fucking outtake shit. And I get that it's dumb looking and it's like I I saw a lot of people on Twitter were like, well, you know, har, har, har. Look at all these stupid merry men and Robin Hood shit that they wore. Look at this stupid, uh, you know, Dixon Hill stuff like when there was frivolity in Star Trek like that, particularly when it comes to the holodecks, there was always a purpose for the frivolity, right? Like Q did that uh, Robin Hood stuff to them. And like the whole idea of the Dixon Hill episodes was like introducing basically the holodeck technology to the, to the canon, right? Like that was the intent. It was, it was, uh, you know, Picard himself, like ex- un- experiencing what the fuck this shit is to begin with. Right. It was like, a leisure was. activity and screwing around. It wasn't a fucking life and death situation. Picard was on Federation news network as the televised pundit during the space nine 11, uh, massacre. All right. And he's he's basically confirmed as the most famous guy in the galaxy. Yeah, I think. Yes. And then you're going to tell me that the big badass crime lord, Arya Talok of Omega, can't fucking recognize Jean-Luc Picard and that this this Clark Kent bullshit of putting on a pair of glasses and now nobody knows who I am like what the fuck, man? Especially like immediately after his name gets mentioned, she's like, Admiral Picard? Like, oh, I fucking know who you are. Like, then when he started acting like a foppish buffoon with a terrible French accent, you didn't think to yourself, boy, why is this crazy person who looks exactly like the galaxy's fam- most famous man? The face you of Starfleet. Doing this shit in my bar? Like, <laughs> the, the guy, Lord. like, I know that we don't really get into to Federation press, right? That it's right. They were there. They were present when the Enterprise B was commissioned and, you know, 
Kirk had to turn over the reins to the guy from Ferris Bueller. And that we don't really talk about what does the media know? How does the media interact? We've been introduced to it now in Picard. She's over there like, you know, jumping back to the first step of this. She's kicking him in the dick over uh, space 9-11 Mars debacle. I have to think on some fucking level that is publicly known that Picard was Lucutus of Borg and led the most up to that point successful attack that the soul system had ever seen by the fucking Borg cube destroyer of Wolf 359. He like wiped out Starfleet. Okay, so I think it is impossible for anybody under the age of fucking 16 years old in this universe to not know who the fuck John Luke Picard is. And, and, and what this scene is, and again, this is why you can't be your own executive producer. It's why the inmates cannot Don't be run, your own storyteller. Yeah, not run the nut house is it's very clearly like, I don't know if it's Ian McKellen or or Patrick was like, gosh, you know, it'd be fun if I was dressed like a French pirate and we just really ham this thing up, write it into the scene. Just just write it into the scene. This is going to be great. The fans are going to love it. Oh, you mean it's the same episode where we opened with the absolutely horror movie level brutal killing of an of a notable recurring character on Star Trek Voyager as setting up the stakes? Oh, no, we can go ahead and start to d- just descend into buffoonery. That's fine. That's totally fine. That's not totally inconsistent at all. That doesn't sap all of the dramatic energy that you built up after that, like, absolutely stunning opener where you do something so gruesome and gritty and and awful to a major tentpole character by killing essentially her her surrogate son a character we we got to know over the course of two seasons no no let's go ahead and have fucking picard and rios and his fucking romulan lackey dressed up like the pirates of Penzance, go down there and just just fop it up so they can do this goofy ass borrowed from Star Wars prisoner exchange where Wookie, where the Wookiee doesn't actually have cuffs on. Yeah. And the Wookiee is seven of nine. Patrick Stewart has lost his fucking mind. He has. He ha- fucking has. He was the worst actor in this show this week. Michelle Hurd was bad. And she's always bad. And she is on balance worse than him. But this week it was absolutely Patrick Stewart. Like what the actual fuck? Am I living in bizarro world? Did yeah, I lose I, my fucking mind? Did did I have a stroke at some point two episodes ago and I'm just seeing distorted reality that that this eye patch fucking nonsense is what clogged up 45 minutes of my day. So again, I'm I'm sitting here scratching my head about where did the money go? We're using cheap no-name actors. We're reusing as many set pieces as possible where a fucking his old study that they, you know, had to secure for the first two episodes can continue seeing the light of day as essentially his new ready room. And then we're down here in this uh, express limited mall store that's supposed to be a bump and nightclub. And they are doing human trafficking that this that this this crime boss who's a super big shot is going to sell an old Federation scientist to the fucking Tal Shiar. And now she's going to be trading for these Borg parts she wants, like nobody's business. And and they can't even give us like a back room scene. All of this dirty ass black market, like drug dealing is going on right in the middle of a fucking nightclub. 
I mean, like when they actually go to Omega in Mass Effect, they have the the decency to do all of their dirt like in a little private suite that's overlooking the club. You know? Yeah. They'll do the dirt on the club floor. Like, <laughs> is she really not a big shot? And like, this isn't her club, and she's just basically like squatting because she doesn't have her own office. So this is better than trying to do uh, human trafficking out at the bus stop or something. ridiculous fucking ridiculous uh god i they try to do the exchange seven of nine takes that opportunity to reveal that oh she decided she agreed to be part of this because she wanted to murder this lady uh and she wants to murder this lady because they heavily imply seven was in lesbians with this lady which is that what happened that's what I that's the vibe I was picking up. They were intimate with each other. She knows her real name, you know, Annika. They are kind of had the look, which is fine by me. Like it's the 24th century. We know everyone's freaky in the 24th century. Like we have gone the rounds on how the 24th century is apparently the most DTF time. So see seven, seven being lesbians with someone actually is one of the more appropriate things they could have done. Well, when your other options being stuck next to Chakotay for four years, I'm not going to blame you. Now um, take that. If Chakotay is your only option, chicks are going to look uh, mighty fine in comparison. Hey, you know what? Maybe Goja the Gozerian is looking pretty good. Yeah, this is where like the audio started becoming difficult for me to follow and understand what exactly was going on. It was clear that there was some sort of shared history between them. I didn't think it was romantic. I thought for a minute that Gozer the Gozerian might have been formerly Starfleet. Again, the whole sequence of events, like why was the Borg kid able to be abducted? Like, how the fuck did that? How did you steal a member off of a Starfleet vessel? It's yeah, they needed to explain that instead. It's just, oh, she found out about him from me. And he was I think she said he was on loan doing what with what where what? Explain this to me how this happened. Like Starfleet's going to give a fuck that one of its officers was abducted and disassembled for parts. Had had they taken Gozier and Gozier was a rogue Starfleet captain who, when space nine 11 happened, went AWOL and started doing like dirty ass shit and cannibalized one of her own crew members and, and what? Okay. There's someone despicable. There's someone with some substance. God, I'd love to see a fucking evil rogue captain. Great. And, and instead, you know, we get this half ass Matrix Revelations club scene, whatever. <laughs> and that's kind that, of what it really is. Was, that really was like the most half assed of all club scenes of all time, too. Uh, was the- and, and to this Merovingian parallel, like she's got her crazy looking dress. She's got the two twins in white outfits like. Yeah, that's that's what that is. Less bondage, less bullets being suspended in midair, whatever. Seven to nine chokes are out. We get some some classic Berman era choke daddy play. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Like, you know, she's apparently when she left Voyager, she she copied Tuvok's program. You know, like you never know when you're going to have to bust, bust out those choke muscles. We got to we got to keep them sharp. We got to keep them fresh. Mm-hmm. Well, oiled. Uh, well, that well oiled you know, Borg choking hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this choke is so threatening, of course, is that uh, ultimately it's enough to allow 
the whole party to just escape with Maddox and and fuck off without any problems. Like everyone just gets to go. Oh, yeah. And that's where Rios like like gets behind the super uh, reptile guy and just fucks him, shoot, shoots him in the head after all that build up. Like the, the, the coolest henchman of all time just goes down like a bee. It's great. It's like a nice homage to Boba Fett getting punked. I'll also say like Rios is not a terrible character. I I hate him less than I did before. And I think once they uh, quit focusing on him being broody, even him dressed like fucking sugar bear from Big Money Hustlers. <laughs> he was definitely more tolerable here, too. But I feel like I'm grading on a curve. Yes, you, know? you, ha- you have to. You cannot take any of this stuff objectively. Like they are setting such terrible precedents within the same episodes that that they're <laughs> that's that's. Patrick Stewart being a great team player. He's like, man, I'm making everybody here look so terrible. I'm just going to have to go roll around in the mud to make my co-stars seem a little better. And it works, sadly. Uh, what, what a what a bro. What a bro for everybody. Yeah. Thanks, Patrick. You did it. That eye patch and fucking beret were totally worth it. So whatever. Seven's got her in a chokehold and she's going to kill Gozier. And Gozier's like, oh, you know, don't kill me. And then Picard, who has never had any screen time shared with Seven of Nine and ultimately shouldn't give two shits because he is there to get Bruce Maddox and they're there to leave and not spread any more death, you know, within the ranks of his crew and get the fuck out of there so they can go find Soji and protect Data's daughter because that is his super important mission. Instead, it's another opportunity for some forced virtue signaling out of Picard. He's like, you don't have to do this. You're not a murderer. Uh, you know, turn the other cheek. Be a good Christian. And Seven's like, no, I need to kill her. And Picard's like, I'm totally going to ignore the fact that fucking last episode, I went and started to instigate a fucking race war and forced my assassin son-in-law to murder three people. I'm above that. You should come up with us. And then they throw this thing out where like, well, you know, if you do kill her, even though you just gun down her fucking bodyguard and put her in a chokehold in front of a club full of people, if you kill her, she'll put a bounty on you. So why don't we just leave her alive and you guys can take off because she totally won't put a bounty on you after this fucking stunt. And they all beam up. And there's some little another heart to heart between uh, Picard and Seven and, you know, hey, let me ask and. This scene was a good scene when she's like, listen, you know, you were in the collective. I was in the collective. Do you feel you got your humanity back? And we get a very good, a rare glimpse of the old Patrick Stewart where, you know, traumatically he's like, yes. And, you know, do you think you got all of it back? Or do you think that there's still some Borg there? And he's like, no, I don't think I got all back, but we're trying. And she's like, cool. Hey, can I take all your guns? And he's like, yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean. You know, what could you possibly do with that, given we just got done confronting an ex-lover of yours that betrayed you so that they could you could harvest your son for parts? You clearly won't go murder anyone with those. Like, I agree that moment was cool. It almost feels like their their interaction should have started with that moment to, like, give them earned intimacy. Yeah. Uh, but instead it didn't. Instead, it was this unearned nonsense. And then Seven of Nine... Guess what? Doesn't beam to like a waiting, you know, Fenris Ranger ship. 
She beams down on the surface with her fucking guns akimbo. Uh, disintegrates, uh, you know, Deanna Gozer, and then just goes ham on everybody and starts, like, just machine gunning down all of her security goons. I... You know, I... I will admit I did secretly enjoy that when she goes ballistic and starts like terminatrixing (laughs) and just walking glass eyed, shooting people to the sides and just laying down the fucking law like it takes you back to the Raven, which was the last time I saw when seven of nine gets phaser rifles and just walks down the hallway, uh, you know, as an active shooter. Um. Yeah it it looks silly out of context when you're like no there's there's a pretty strong precedent for her just terminator <laughs> just, fucking place up sure okay I'll take what I yeah, can I, get I, I I can definitely see her resorting to violence it's just it was the most predictable thing to end the episode on and so that's what they did except the the next thing that happened um. So the the plot of there's no Sho, Shoji Tabuchi part of the the episode. That's the it's truth. Yeah. Folk- That's what my wife yeah. said. She said, you know, I, I didn't hate this episode because she hasn't watched all of TNG and, and doesn't know how to hate the right way. But she's like, I feel like this was much better than the last episode. It was stupid, but at least it wasn't boring. I don't feel like we wasted our time watching. And she said, maybe the reason I feel that way is there was none of this Victor Frankenstein, uh, Soji, boring ass Romulan stuff. And I said, you're absolutely right. That that Borg Cube shit is so fucking terrible that the absence of it alone can bring an episode up in quality. The real drama occurs in sickbay because they get Maddox back. He starts to spit out like some theories about... Uh, the attack that happened on Mars that the Tal Shiar were involved, but maybe the Federation was also involved in some way, which does not come to a surprise, I think, to any sentient being who's been watching the first four episodes of this. They, they're practically telegraphing with every bone in their body that they want to make the Federation out to be as terrible as possible. Uh, and the... Uh, you know, he's he's real beat up. He's in bad shape. And Gerardi clearly has a pained look on her face while he's starting to explain this to uh, Picard kind of cuts him off and gets him out of there. And uh, we we see that. In a conversation that Maddox has with Gerardi, that she was helping him make the androids that he had a contribution um, song is mentioned by name. I don't know if that was just a reference to using his information you know, his, yeah, yeah. I don't, I, I don't know if that was to refer to a present Sung or past Sung. I assume past, um, but that they were in some kind of contact at some point. And then again, we don't have any context, but, but Alison Pill sells her sorrow really well in her performance and conveys that she was shown something that really horrified her. That was almost like knowledge she didn't want, knowledge that that made her regret all of her decisions in life, and also was leading her to essentially murdering Maddox in the bio bed, making it look like he passed on from complications from his adventures being drugged. And uh, the episode's left there, 
there's not any explanation as to why she does this aside from a very pained, I wish I didn't know, I wish I didn't know what I knew and how horrible it is. We don't know what any of this is referring to yet, uh, but it leads her to straight up murdering Maddox, who, again, is supposed to be uh, intimate with her. This was a genuine surprise. Uh, and, And to your earlier statements, Allison Pill is, you know, with the lack of the Tal Shiar uh, wine people that Picard, for some fucking reason, left back in France, she is the strongest acting force in this. And had you asked me up until the last four minutes of this episode what I thought was going to happen, I really felt like they were grooming her to become the main character of this show. Uh, you know, I, I still believe that Picard is going to die. And I think that she was really kind of poised to become the new center of attention and deservedly so because her acting chops are there. The character is kind of interesting and it's, you know, it's it's a it's something we, we've never really focused on a female scientist. Oh, wait, we totally did Janeway. But, uh, <laughs> you know. I, I could have seen it. And now that she is murdering people in cold blood and is just a cog in the larger conspiracy, I don't know uh, what story they're going to tell to redeem her. I'm sure she will be redeemed. She's far too likable. Although this these scripts go out of their way to be as offensive and stupid as possible. So maybe, yeah, they are just going to get rid of her and, and boot her off somehow. But... um. Yeah, I I really wish they would have had the original Maddox. I wish I could have felt a connection. Uh, This guy didn't fit anything we saw before personality wise or mannerism wise. And it was for all intents and purposes, a completely different character. Um, I wasn't sad to see him killed off. Uh, I don't know that 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 part was interesting. I wish that this episode could have done justice to what it started with having Egypt die in for what all intents and purposes was a horror scene could have built into something really earned and important and interesting, particularly to fans of Voyager of which obviously our show caters to. And instead of that, it's just used as a cheap ploy to give Seven of Nine, who is not a main character, but a one off um, some bargain basement motivation for doing murder and explaining why she's space Batman. Um, They don't explain how all of that happens with each. They don't explain why Seven of Nine is out doing this shit on her own, except that she just wanted to. Like, there's no explanation. There is no discussion of Voyager whatsoever. There's no discussion of like anyone from Voyager that might have tried to help Seven of Nine understand this because same fucking problem that we had with goddamn everyone not, you know, Picard not going to the TNG crew to help with this whole, you know, Data's children thing, you know, like they would all be interested because they're all friends of Data. They were, he was family to them. This is kin to Data. This is clearly important to all of us. Like if each have got fucking snatched up by a bunch of Borg organ harvesters and got had to get, you know, euthanized as a consequence of that, 
all everyone from Voyage will be like, saddle up, buckos. We fucking we fucking hunting. Like, fuck these guys. Ain't no doubt about it. But we don't even get a mention of any of that. And it it's dishonors the stakes they set up by not giving you any kind of meat on the bone when it comes to that. And it it's indicative of everything that we've come to hate about this show. I saw web ads and it's like, you know, Jerry Ryan had a hard time finding a voice for seven for this. And it's like, yeah, because she probably saw the script, saw it sucked and knew that she shouldn't have fucking been in it. Um, I would have figured that her inclusion in this Picard story, which so heavily features uh, the pillaging of a Borg cube, that she was going to be part of some sort of like resistance or watchdog group or something saying this technology should not be circulated. If these Fenris Rangers were hell bent on taking Borg tech off the market. I mean, that's that's a vigilantism that I could see her getting on board with, not just we're, we're just a, a roving police force or whatever. You would have had a great reason for Picard to be like, listen, we're going to have to go to the Borg cube to to do my thing. And her being like, I never wanted to go back to one of those places, but me being former Borg, me seeing the Borg black market parts, like all this other stuff, like there's a reason. And, and instead of putting her in a lane that she is perfectly fit to fly in. Yeah. Just taking her out for a, a murder revenge mass shooting spree opportunity. Fuck that man. Like, yeah, all of this opportunity and you use none of it. Go fuck yourself. You know, I cannot overstate how fucking terrible Patrick Stewart was in this. Yeah. All time worst performance I've ever seen from Patrick Stewart. No doubter. Uh, inexplicably bad. His, sh- his his character seems to just be there to be a punching bad for all of these other characters. Uh, it's it's so sad to watch. It's you embarrassing. Know, I've, 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 I've bemoaned already, like, you know, the Picard we love is a Picard who's in command, who has the command authority, who has clarity, who's leader. And he's just none of these things in this show. And it's just makes him not Picard. It just makes it old ass Patrick Stewart out there, you know, basically play acting at a character that he created and crafted with all of this incredibly intense performance over the course of decades. And instead is just coasting. I don't know. I don't even know why. Why the fuck you say yes to this? Why do you do this? You can't need the money. I'm fucking, I don't fucking get it. And, and, and what gave me the most hope that it would be good was how fucking good he was in Logan. You know? Yeah, man. Like, that movie was a perfect ending to something that where it's so hard to stick the landing, right? It's so hard to end stories now. And Logan was just so good at being an ending that you're like, I don't want to ever want to see Patrick Stewart as Professor X ever again. I don't want to see uh, Hugh Jackman as Wolverine ever again because that was so awesome an end that any more material with them would just ruin it, right? And he was so good in that, so perfect to like what the character was essentially designed to be there. And I'm like, oh, that's if that's the kind of like ability in his performance he's going to bring to play in Picard, good and great, fucking bring it on. And instead, it's just nothing. There's just nothing there. And it's so sad to say. 
it's a what if scenario where <laughs> what if we just drag Picard through the mud at every turn and see how long it takes for people to completely reject this entire franchise. And fortunately for them, they've got these these Drekkies on Twitter who are going to sing its praises and say, well, it has all the things you want, so it's definitely Star Trek and you're just an asshole. And it's, you don't get it. And I know you're never going to, the royal you in this case. You don't get it, Drekkies. And I accept that you don't get it. But just please fuck off. At the end of the day, does it need to be Star Trek? No, does it need to be Picard? No, it's it's just it's a bad story. It's stupid. If you can sit there and, and, and choke this stuff down and say, yeah, that, that that was good and entertaining. Like, man, fuck. Like, do you see where the rest of the TV is in 2019, 2020 like this? Eh, all right. I, I can't talk about this anymore. Yeah, I look forward to our next uh, discussion, Peter, the same way I look forward to dental surgery and to the rest of you. Thanks for slogging through yet another miserable episode of Feed Your Please. Uh, if for whatever reason you think that our misery should be uh, subjected to your friends and family, feel free to share us on any social media you see fit. Uh, like slash subscribe to us wherever it is that you choose to watch slash listen. And, uh, you know, we, we're excited for what's going to be coming after so we contacted Mike and Taryn over at Halen Well Met because they were kind enough to have us involved with uh, their creation of the Shorts Podcast Appreciation, which has a sci-fi slash uh, not at all a related to Trek theme. And uh, we said, hey, guys, listen, that was awesome. We're happy to do voices for you. But have you considered maybe taking a hateful voyage to the Delta Quadrant? They were very into it. So happy to say When we return to Voyager at the end of Picard, we're going to have our first special guest to review Demon, which is the first episode back for us. So uh, mark your calendars, everybody. It's going to be a good time.